Hi, I'm here with uh, Bill McDonald. Bill is uh, CEO of uh, Mill Creek Residential, a national multifamily company and uh, a good friend and uh, long-term uh, client. Uh, good to have you with us today, Bill. How are you? I'm great, Gotti. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a great pleasure. So where do we find you today? I am in Bethesda, Maryland at uh, our office up here. I started in Florida, actually, when uh, this whole thing really hit the fan in, in mid-March. Rachel and I were in Florida. We were the first time empty nesters. And then, of course, the kids get kicked out of school and they all have to come home and finish online. So then we left Florida and came back to Maryland. And uh, we've been up here for the last two months. Uh, but I've been coming to work every day in the office. It's nice and quiet. And, uh, you know, get away from the house. So it's great. <laughs> That's good. You're one of the few people that, in spite of the uh, conditions, have actually been going to the office. Are you the only one in the office, or are there other people that are also choosing to go in? Yeah, I'm sorry. The first couple of weeks, Scotty, there were, it was really just me and then uh, maybe one other person. And each week, a few more come back. So, you know, probably the, the maximum in our office on a given day is, you know, six people, seven people, maybe out of 25. Uh, the building itself, though, uh, there's two buildings here that maybe have 800 people total. My guess is there's 20, 25 people out of 800. It's like going to work on uh, Christmas uh, Day, right? It is. It is. No, 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 nobody around. Well, well terrific. Uh, so, so, Bill, we've been at this uh, pandemic now uh, officially with shutdowns and uh, disruptions. Uh, clear and evident uh, for at least two months now. So Mill Creek clearly has uh, seen the signs and then had to deal with the realities. I think we hear so much information about collections and performance. So I think there's no point in kind of going back and restating what is already pretty well known. But what have you found, what have you done uniquely uh, at Mill Creek over the last two months to uh, uh, identify strategies and deploy them in dealing with the pandemic and how uh, have things worked out relative to what you were hoping they would have given, again, the, uh, the, 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 the unprecedented situation. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. Uh, some of this is unprecedented clearly, uh, but then other aspects of it, uh, you know, at a much higher altitude are not too dissimilar from the way one would approach, uh, you know, running a company in a business from their, you know, the early 90s, you know, 2000, early 2000s, the great financial crisis uh, to today. Uh, you know, the unique aspects were the complete shutdown of some markets, right? Um, you know, people afraid being in public near each other and all those things. So we had to adapt pretty quickly. We managed uh, 72 communities around the country. So early on, we realized that, you know, we weren't going to be able to keep up with uh, the cleaning and, and, the, and the distancing and monitoring that 24-7 uh, as was really needed at the, at the early start of this. So we closed down a lot of our, our amenity or all our amenity areas in our communities. Uh, a lot of our staffs uh, weren't on site or we had a, or we had a skeleton staff. Uh, we, you know, adopted to, you know, move to virtual leasing, which we, you know, have done obviously in the past, but primarily it's been an in-person type of uh, endeavor. So we switched to that. So on the operation side, there were a lot of decisions to be made. We made those early on and quickly, both to protect our residents and our associates. So that was different than any other previous uh, situation, you know, we've been in or down turn. 
on the construction side, you know, we have 31 communities under construction around the country. You know, every day was different. You know, you had some subs not showing up, some coming with half crews. You had municipalities saying, we're shut down, you can't come. And then the next day they say, oh no, well, wait a minute, you're an essential business, you can come. And we have to communicate to all the subs and the suppliers that we are essential and you can come. So it was a lot of moving pieces there, but um, interesting, but we, you know, kept moving forward, the trend was good. We really only got shut down in four different markets out of the 17 major markets that we're in. And of those four, only one was more than a, you know, for longer than a week, a week and a half. So a lot of the similarities are just, you know, communicating really well with your, your teams, your investors, your lenders, your residents, Making sure, you know, cash is obviously king, uh, being in a good position and um, not panicking. If you had anything to do over again over the last eight or nine weeks, what would you have done differently if, uh, if, you, if you could? Uh, you know, probably uh, seeing this, you know, we made some, some cuts in overhead pretty early. Uh, we haven't furloughed or laid off anybody, but we made meaningful reductions in, in payroll and other overhead. Uh, so. You know, I, I guess, um, you know, we maybe could have started that a few weeks earlier. One thing that I, you know, in hindsight, I wish I didn't do is we had a big company meeting, as you know, in Nashville in March, uh, you know, 12, 13, 14th. And that's right when everything hit the fan. In hindsight, I wish we didn't have everybody there because I think it stressed a lot of people. Um, thank goodness uh, we've only had a couple of people in the company out of a thousand people that have gotten the virus that we know of. Nobody from that meeting. So that's all good. But, um, you know, there's nothing that jumps out that says we should have done this, um, you know, differently, other than I think we maybe should have closed some construction starts, tried to push to close those a little earlier because debt as we go on is getting a little more problematic. So maybe a, a bigger push to, to start a few uh, new deals uh, early. So you're pretty optimistic about what's happening. You, you're prepared to continue funding construction, start new projects that are already in the pipeline. You're not, uh, you, you're not going into a defensive mode, as you know. Let's ice everything. Let's see what happens, and we'll come back to it in a year from today. Why? Right. Um, well, first, when we came into this, right, much different than the great financial crisis, we came into this, uh, the multifamily space, right? We were undersupplied. We had low leverage versus the last time around, pretty much everybody did. Very low interest rates, we had low cap rates, we had strong operating fundamentals. So we felt good going into this, it happened, we adjusted. Um, the biggest issues for us were re are really just the, the timing of completing construction. It's gotten longer, right, because of the, the stops and the starts and distancing and, and whatnot. Uh, and sales have, have frozen. But, new business, new development, uh, you know, we look at it and, you know, we look, rents are going to go down this year. They're already starting to go down. So they'll go down in 20 uh, in most all our markets. Uh, we think in 21, uh, they'll go down in a handful of markets, but most of them, they'll be positive again. Uh, and then in 22, all of them look like they'll be positive. Now, who knows if, if this thing just gets worse and worse and worse and, and it's a deep, you know, it's a big U and there's a big bottom to it. And then obviously, you know, then we're wrong. But we don't think that's going to happen. And so uh, we look at it and say, you know, if you're building now and therefore you're delivering in leasing and late, you know, in 22, late 22 and then into 23, we think that's a really good sweet spot. We think some, op some deals are going to get 
just put aside and they won't get started because folks are undercapitalized and they didn't have equity lined up. They don't have strong balance sheets. So uh, because, you know, the lenders and investors are going to be more choosy than normal on, you know, who they go forward with. So I think there'll be a you know, lower supply. Rents will be coming back. People will be leaving mom and dad's house, going back, looking for apartments. Demand should be up. Uh, for sale, there's different thoughts on that. But, but you know, for sale is probably not going to kill it. You know, they, they may do okay, but they may not do so great. You know, so, um, so we think it's, you know, we're kind of bullish about being delivering product in late 22 and into 23. And then if you look at the value side of that, with rents going up, interest rates being so low and likely staying low, values probably coming, uh, going up and cap rates may be coming down again because of alternative investments. People are going to put money in real estate and, you know, less dollars are going to go into some asset classes in real estate. And, and that, that money that will go into real estate will then be reallocated to other areas. And we think multifamily market rate uh, apartments, uh, it's going to be a place that will benefit. So I, I, I get your underlying assumption uh, or expectation about what happens uh, on the other side of this. And uh, uh, also I get a sense that your outlook is predicated upon a base case that the worst is kind of like behind us and that from here on out, uh, there's maybe a, a few more months of, of uh, decline in economic and business activity for your company. But by and large, by second half of this year, sometimes second half of this year, we'll start climbing out of the hole and that's going to persist through 2020 and 21 and beyond. Uh, it may take a while to regain the grounds that we may have lost since uh, February of this year, but that's the trajectory. So with that in mind, and uh, I, I believe that you are not one of those who may be forced to transact uh, when you don't wish to. Uh, so there's got to be an expectation bill that you have for where property values sort of settle down. If you took February 2020 as the uh, high level watermark, uh, by sometime after the dust settles, let's call it uh, late summer, maybe fall, where do you think values will end up being? You talked about uh, compressing cap rates, maybe uh, lower interest rates, but different NOIs given more operating costs, perhaps, and certainly lower rates. So what do you think happens? Yeah, certainly values right now, as you're indicating, right, have taken a hit, you know, plus or minus 10%, most likely in, in multifamily space. Um, you know, look, who knows really, but, but I don't think that will return We'll return to the February levels, in my opinion, probably till later this year. Now, if later this year there's, you know, a, a relapse, then, you know, it's, you know, you're going to hit the hold button, you know, pause button again. So, you know, my, you know, so it might happen by the end of this year, but, but my guess is it's more likely will be this time next year, uh, not so much, you know, a big pickup this year. Yeah. So, I think, so I think sales are going to be uh, lower than we expect at the at the levels of pricing that we had in February until next year. Um, now, it only takes one to think differently on the buy side, right? So we'll see. But Right. Well, the question is really more on the sell side, right? Who, who is going to sell and why are they going to sell? And uh, what, what is your outlook for that by, uh, you know, for, for fall and, and uh, second half, if you will, 2020, who are going to sell? Who are the players that are going to be selling and at what price are they going to be selling given uh, how much capital is looking to make investments and perhaps how many or how few transactions are going to be available. What do you think? Right, right. 
Um, well, first, I think there'll be fewer people selling this year than normal simply because of the gap that's out there and the buyer's expectation of getting a deal. Uh, much like they, they, we all got or, you know, back in 2008 great financial crisis. I don't see that happening as much here. There'll be some of that, but not as much. And so where it will happen, um, my guess is it'll be on, on apartment uh, communities that were financed with MESDEC where the seller or the, the sponsor is getting buried and behind all these preps and with lower NOI, like you said, uh, you know, when you look, they look at time, even if the values go back up in a year to what they were in February, they're going to do the math and say, it's better for me to sell a discount now than to hold this for another year, year and a half and sell it even higher at a higher value. So I think folks, depending on how they financed it, uh, you know, what kind of preps in front of them will sell. Others that just need to get cash for other parts of their business where they have, uh, you know, maybe they're also into other, you know, into hotels or retail or, or, or gaming or some other type of business and, and they need to, you know, patch some uh, holes in the, in the dam somewhere else. So let's take something that is somewhat marketable, even if it's below what we think we can get if we hold it for a while and, and use that money elsewhere. So I think those will probably be the sellers. Otherwise, I think most people will will hold out and wait because they have lower leverage than typical. And, and they do, they, and again, coming into this, we were in a, a great spot fundamentally as an industry. And so I think they'll, most people will wait about it. That's a great summary, Bill. So you, you expect that institutionally funded uh, projects are not likely to go to market because institutions are not going to be anxious to take a discount. And uh, the sponsors, even if they had a say, probably would be happy to kind of ride along and wait maybe not for as good an IRR, but hope for as good or better multiple by delaying the, the transaction. But where the opportunities might be would be in more privately capitalized projects, not institutional capital, perhaps with higher leverage between uh, FIRST and maybe MESDET or construction loans that uh, need to be refinanced or, or taken out, but the takeout is not available, at least not with the proceeds that were hoped for and that, that needs to be structured. So right. it seems like it's a, it's a big haystack of, uh, of, of I lost you there, got it. Developments and assets out there. We do have some timeouts every once in a while. Am I back now? Yes. Okay, good. Sorry about that. So you don't, you don't expect any wholesale um, distress at least not today, based kind of things of the style of the 1990s the GF, uh, or the GFC. Right, right. I, I, yes, that's, that's what I expect. Um, so, the banks are much more forgiving right now than they were back then. I think there's more liquidity in the market. They know multifamily, you know, as, as an asset class is in a better position than a lot of their other asset classes, so they're spending their attention there. You know, the government's not coming in and the regulators are pushing them as hard as they did uh, back in the prices. So now, if this thing goes on longer than we all expect, and you know, and it doesn't come back up, then you know, at some point, you know, banks will start to get antsy, and there'll be some things that'll shake loose that might be great opportunities. But yeah. I haven't seen them yet. The, the the game will change. No question about that. Uh, I'm curious about your uh, point of view, maybe even analytics. Uh, do you have any idea how much of your tenant base that is paying rent now? Uh, is doing so with uh, the help of PPP and maybe other stimulus. And uh, 
do you have any anxiety about what happens over the next uh, 60 days as the PPP money dries up and maybe people begin to get laid off or not have uh, money to pay their bills? Yeah, um, PPP in particular, we don't have statistics on that yet. We've been talking about trying to figure out how we can, you know, we can access that and ask people. Um, you know, our collections, uh, you know, as a side to that, our collections in March were about 96.5%, so obviously much higher than, you know, people thought. April was 94.6, and then in May it was 94%. So very strong. Uh, you know, we've only had, you know, we've, based, best we can tell, the people, our residents, we've had, you know, in our newer product, the product that we've developed, you know, four or 5% of the people in our communities that have been furloughed or laid off. Uh, that's what we've been able to ascertain so far. Uh, as, as you would imagine, you know, brand new, a quality product, you know, it's higher rent on average, our rents plus or minus $2,500 a month without parking and some other miscellaneous charges. So pretty high income uh, folks in our communities. And the percent of their, of their income that they were paying for rent was about 22 and a half, 23%. So they, they were making really good money. And those folks don't seem to be, at least so far, the ones that have been furloughed and laid off, at least in our communities. So. No. I think it'll be interesting to watch that. We'll see, we'll see what happens, of course, with, uh, with, with all these um, patterns. Uh, and the flip side of it is that if the economy does roar back, uh, whatever roaring back looks like, uh, the reemploying of the 40 million that have been laid off and uh, elimination of potential further layoffs for the, those who are still employed uh, will, will be a blessing. It'll be great to have. So you've been playing a lot of defense. You've been uh, working with your uh, residents and your team members, and you've been working with uh, your lenders and equity partners. Uh, what do you do? Doing offense-wise, uh, are you seeing anything? Are you giving even any time to look at it? And if you are, what 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 are you exploring? What are you hoping to see? And what is coming out? Mm -hmm. Well, um, first on being on the offensive side for our pipeline that we have, we have 46 communities in our pipeline right now. The total is about five billion dollars in total capitalization. So one of the first things we did, and this is one of the things that's similar to the other several. Uh, since back to 1990, the, the, the three other big uh, downturns that we've gone through, you know, you, we go back to the land sellers and we say, look, the world has changed, which it has. It's easy for them to see. Uh, and we get, try to get reduction in pricing on the land and we get more time. So uh, so it's in effect, in effect, that's defensive, but it's offensive in the sense that it allows us to then hold on to assets that we think make sense, as I said earlier, to the to then build, close, and then build and deliver into what we think will be great markets in 22 and 23. Uh, we go to our uh, architects, our engineers, and we ask them to help out during this year also. And uh, we ask them to reduce costs, you know, also, or to, um, you know, just, you know, we pay less money uh, right now. And if the deal does go forward and close, then we'll pay them the balance later. Uh, we're working the construction side of it hard. You know, there's opportunity there to be uh, offensive again in our new in this pipeline by other deals that don't go forward. Subs who thought they had work now they don't have that work. Now they want to keep their people busy. Margins start coming down. Material prices come down. So the offense part is trying to hold on to the pipeline, the five billion dollar pipeline we have, uh, with reduced costs. Work on reducing those costs 
and then delivering into a market in 22 or 23 when releasing where rents are back higher than they are today with you know still low interest rates and hopefully great cap rates. The other offensive piece is just keeping in the market, all our local markets and understanding what our competitors are doing, if deals are getting cropped, if there's opportunities to jump in, whether it's a land opportunity, whether it's a site under construction that they can't finish for some reason, um, and or acquisitions of existing, uh, you know, BC product. Um, so that's the offensive piece. And so, you know, we have cash available to do that. We have strong balance sheet. We have a great capital partner in the Arizona State Retirement System that allows us to, to look at things like that. Are you finding construction costs uh, coming down in a measurable way? Uh, they are coming down. It uh, depends on market right now, uh, market specific, but uh, the trend is certainly down. You know, pricing on uh, materials is coming down. You know, some are going up a little bit because while the demand is down, then people are shutting plants. So then they're becoming some supply, right? So, um, but net net costs are starting to come down, uh, not significantly yet. There's got to be a little more pain for the subcontractors. Uh, and some of the suppliers, and uh, but it, over the next couple of months, I think the trend will continue. It'll start to speed up a little bit. Uh, that's what typically happens. I don't imagine it would be uh, much different here. So, um, you know, in land prices on new opportunities, it takes a while for land sellers to readjust their thinking. They're going to try to wait this out a little bit. Um, you just have to, you know, keep pushing, keep pushing. But you know, eventually that they react also. But it's a uh, it'll be interesting to see over the next 60 days how as you re-underwrite the deals that you have, redo your business plans, uh, and, and look at new opportunities, uh, how these fundamentals have to change to make economic sense for investors. So to that end, uh, you as CEO, people look up to you, your investors, your partners, your uh, uh, employees, uh, even your residents and others, they all look to you for wisdom, for guidance, for direction. Uh, I know you're very comfortable with that, but I also know that uh, you've got to get your information somewhere. You've got to be talking to somebody or reading things, or uh, I'm curious about how, as a personal insight, where do you get your information? How do you process it? And, and um, uh, you know, how, how much confidence do you have in that information? Sure, sure. Um, well, first, I, I try to read as much as I can from any source. You know, National Multifamily Housing Council, Green Streets, Witten, uh, you know, Freya, Institutional Real Estate, uh, you know, obviously RC Elko, you guys put out some great pieces, have some great seminars. Thank you uh, for so, that. You, know, yeah, you guys do that every week now on Fridays. We have our folks that, that go there, and if I'm not on, then they take notes. Uh, I talk to a lot of different uh, folks in the industry that are competitors, the friends, uh, not just in the multifamily space, but in other product types. You know, uh, you know, read all kinds of uh, banks and investment banks and placement agents uh, and, and their economist reports. You know, uh, listen to Peter Lindemann, haven't listened to Peter in a while. Uh, so it's, it's really just trying to get as much data as you can. A lot of it ends up being somewhat similar. There's some outliers out there, but generally you seem to get somewhat of a consensus over time. And that helps at least me uh, develop some opinions, um, you know, about direction. So among the key decisions you got to make, uh, what are the ones that you find that you have to make, but you feel like you have the least information about? You know, it's 
timing of when <laughs> of when people will start traveling again, <clears throat> when people uh, will be able to airport, you know, will come and lease in person, people will leave their homes to go rent an apartment again, uh, when people feel more, you know, with these job losses every week now, it's two and a half million people, as you said, almost 40 million now. So when do those job losses stop? When do people start going, <clears throat> excuse me, going back to work? When do, when do inspectors start coming back out to sites and inspecting? When, when do building departments uh, you know, start working uh, regular, more regular hours to review the plans for new opportunities you have? Uh, when will the equity investors you know, come back and say, okay, we have the money and now we're ready to actually invest it again? When will buyers show up and the, and the buy-sell gap narrow enough where they're comfortable to underwrite and the NOIs aren't as foggy as they are today? So it's, you know, so the biggest unknown are the, all those things, and they're all connected to, obviously, if there was a vaccine all of a sudden created and, you know, you could distribute it, you know, in three, four months, then that's nirvana. Um, I don't expect that to happen. I think things will organically just get better and we'll be kind of in a, you know, instead of a V or a swoosh, I think we'll be in kind of, I call it a double check, you know, where the, the first check is deeper uh, than the second one, but we'll have that. So it's uh, something over time. So the unknown is just when will people go back to quote some normalcy uh, that we experienced pre-COVID, and, and that's the biggest unknown. Right? But I, I, I sympathize. I think you have um, you're, you're going to have a sorry about that. You're going to have a set of decisions to make uh, in the not too distant future, I'm sure, uh, about. Um, um, Getting the house again, right? Uh, kind of restarting the pipeline, and uh, uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how and when those decisions come up, how you make those choices. Let me ask you another question related to that to some extent. Uh, you you said, at least I deduce that you said that there will be some sort of a new normal that we're going to settle into in maybe 21, maybe 22, but sometime in the next two years we'll settle on some new normal. I'm curious in your view. What's different in that new normal from the old normal? What, what will fundamentally be different in the multifamily business and how people uh, use apartments, how apartments are built and managed, how capital flows in and out of them, what roles uh, MCR plays in all that? What's the new normal difference between 2019 and 2023, say? Yeah, I think from an operations perspective, uh, you know, first in virtual leasing, uh, is going to stay and stay in a big way. Uh, I think there will hopefully be a, a, a sea change here, a shift. I mean, personally, I've, I've been wanting for years for, for us to figure out with all this great technology that we've had over the last decade or and a half, you know, our on-site overhead payroll really hasn't changed, right? And we've talked about this before. So, right. you know, everybody expected that to happen, but it never happened. So uh, maybe this is an opportunity to test that. And, you know, maybe virtual leasing can take off uh, and we can reduce some on-site uh, personnel to help the NOI, you know, go the other direction and help, you know, reduce expenses and increase uh, NOI. So I expect that to happen. I, I think that'll come out of this. Sort of accelerating uh, uh, trends that have already been in the works, right? Right, right. And now the people are forced, yeah, now the people are forced to do that and they're saying, hey, you know, th this works pretty well. Um, you know, I, I see people sticking with that. Now, there's always going to be a balance, and, and but I see that happening on operations. I think, you know, do, you know, on ops, again, on the upside, uh, 
you know, cleaning and, and, and some, you know, the way that, you know, you have to approach that more often, different, you know, different types of products. Uh, that's going to have to, you know, be a forever thing. Construction, I think, again, cleaner, safer sites. That's a given going forward. Uh, more distancing uh, when folks are on site working. That's going to happen, I think, for a very long time. And both of those equal longer construction time. So I think that's going to change for a good amount, uh, you know, looking forward in the, in, for years. Uh, it'll, it'll take longer to build the same thing. I think virtual inspection will likely uh, pick up just like versa, virtual leasing. So we're doing a lot of virtual inspections now. I think we'll see more and more of that. I think you'll see changes uh, to, you know, to the supply chain in construction. I mean, I know, you know, we're looking at and have, you know, spend a lot of time thinking about you know, not getting products from China if we can help it or getting products that rely on components from China. Uh, that's been proven to be problematic, right? So I think there'll be supply change, uh, supply chain changes. I think uh, an increase in offsite assembly, again, that trend will continue. Uh, an increase in R&D by folks, uh, into, you know, looking into robotics. You know, we've all seen videos of you know, robots uh, laying brick and drywall. I think people now will really start spending more time and effort on that. And, um, and I, I think you'll see those trends. On design, I think you'll see changes for more people. Assuming more people will work from, from home and all that goes along with that, whether it's back, you know, it's deja vu all over again, providing spaces in one's apartment home uh, for their own personal office. We used to do that years ago and got away from that. So you do that? Do you have some larger floor plans to go along with the smaller floor plans for the better, you know, you know, price per, per month check? Um, I think less retail. Retail for a lot of folks was a darling with mixed with multifamily. Uh, we have a fair amount of that. And I think some of our folks got, you know, really excited about retail. I think you'll see less retail going forward in multifamily communities to the extent that developers can't have less retail and it's not forced upon them by municipalities. And I think municipalities may not force as much as they did before. And then the type of retail that you have, I think when you do have retail will be different uh, and will be thought about and planned differently strategically than we're doing today. You won't have as many restaurants and bars as you do now. And transit sites going forward and design. You know, typically a transit, uh, mass transit site, you know, costs a lot more money and rents are a lot higher. Um, will that be the case going forward? I'm not so sure it will be. Um, you know, it, I don't know that I'd want to pay a lot more, a big premium for a transit site right now, or even in the next couple of years. So I think you'll see changes like that. But I don't expect to see a radical change otherwise in, you know, everybody running to the suburbs versus living in urban areas. I think there'll be still be a, a nice mix of both. I think there'll be a nice mix of people that will want to rent a single family home and people that will want the multifamily. So I don't see radical changes otherwise there. I think people's behaviors will generally over time, you know, be so, pretty similar to what it was before this. Yeah, the, the two things that I found very interesting I want to drill back onto with you that you said were not one, that work from home will end up uh, increasing than driving what space demand people have. And I'm sure you didn't mention, but I'm sure you know, you, you, you also are considering increasing bandwidth and all the stuff that goes along with supporting that. But, but in the physical plant, now people need 
a home office, uh, and a proper home office with a, with a door and a window and a, you know, and so on and so forth. So that's more square footage per, per resident, I would think, right? Right. Uh, and you didn't say that you'll solve for that through a common uh, we work or any kind of a common working place uh, or even a repurposing of the retail space. You simply went straight to a larger unit and, uh, and, and, and more functioning in the unit. Um, is, did I get it right? Well, I, I didn't say the things you just said, but that is part of the solution, right? I mean, you're going to make some changes to the, to the apartment home itself. But again, I don't think, you know, you're going to see radical changes. We wouldn't plan radical changes. We're not going to all of a sudden you know, just blow up our, our one bedrooms or our two bedrooms or our studios, um, you know, because at some point people have to, it's, affordability is important too, right? It's always going to be important. So I don't see radical changes there, little changes. I think you'll see more changes in the use of common space, like you said, you know, instead of retail, you'll have more live work opportunities and, and offices or, or we work type of setups. Um, absolutely. And, uh, and we'll provide that for the residents. And, you know, obviously you have to, you know, put together schedules and when people can schedule those and clean those properly and, and all those different things. But, but that's going to be a big part of going forward for sure. So people can work quote from home, but when I say from home, it may not necessarily be in their apartment. Okay. Maybe some things that may be going out of their apartment, but still in the community to know it's home. Well, that, that, that's an important uh, clarification, and thank you for, for um, expanding upon that. The second thing you said that I found interesting was transit. Uh, it seems embedded in your thinking that uh, the... Oops, I lost you, guys. The attraction and I, I kind of wanted to explore that with you do, do you think that that is more than a temporary reaction I'm sorry I think I timed out can you hear me now Bill yes okay so I was saying that the other thing that surprised me in what you said or at least I wanted to unpack with you was the uh, the emphasis on transit for the last 10 or 15 years we've been talking about how people wanted to live closer to transit so they can use public transit to cut commute time and increase convenience increase densities etc for quality of life. You seem to be thinking that that may not be as much of a, that's a that pattern may reverse. And I wanted to make sure that I got it right and uh, to, to explore whether you think that's more of a temporary solution, reaction to that situation today where it's scary to get onto a subway or even a bus uh, just because of the, you know, uh, 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 you know, risk of infection, et cetera. Uh, or do you really think it's a permanent uh, change? This is not going away. I, I don't I, look. I, I think for a few years, certainly it's going to be a, a meaningful change. Long term, I think people will start reverting back to the means, the norm, what happened prior to the virus, uh, until the next thing happens. So I don't think it's long term. Uh, but I do think there are some people that have gone through this that long term will think that way. It's a certain percent. I don't know what that is, but it's more than zero. Uh, and it's probably more than 1%. But there's, you know, as we have a, a number of residents now that are older, uh, the baby boomers, if you will, uh, I don't, I'm not so sure that those folks, you know, maybe before they would consider living at a mass transit spot, I'm not sure that they will want to, given their age, put themselves in that situation. And therefore, those folks are, are a fair number of those folks, percentage of those folks, won't look at that type of uh, location and we'll consider something else instead. Now, there's still probably plenty of demand though from people that 
are younger, they're just coming up, um, and over time, you know, they won't even remember this. And, and so, you know, look, there'll, there'll always be demand for that, but I'm just saying, I don't see a big premium for that uh, for the next few years. And I think longer term, the demand may not be as high as it was historically because of what we're doing. But is that 10% difference, you know? I, I don't know. So it's, it's probably more on the margins than necessarily a ground shift. Right. Uh, what do you think is going to change in the investment landscape? How investors look at uh, the type and location of multifamily and the multifamily space as a whole. Uh, is that changing in any fundamental way? You know, once we're on the other side of this wave? Well, again, promising it that multifamily, for their portfolio, multifamily apartments have done really well relative to other product types. I mean, there's some that have done great too, right? Industrial manufactured housing, single family housing. But um, but I I think some will react, you know, in the short term and say, my gosh, you know, should we be in urban locations? Should we be at that metro location? Um, you know, shouldn't we be out in the suburbs? So I think there'll be some of that for a while. Uh, I think that will calm down and, will, and it will go away. Um, I think people, uh, so I, I don't see, There'll be a lot of questions. Are you going to change your product radically? Are you going to make bigger apartments like we were talking about before? So people have an office in their apartment and we're going to say, well, geez, you know, I don't, we're not sure. We don't think people will pay for that. Um, you know, it may be a short term fix, but longer term, that doesn't make sense. So I think they'll have a lot of questions to start with. There'll, there'll be a size of, of the homes and, and there'll be a conversation about urban, suburban, uh, transit oriented spots. But, but I don't think there'll be a lot of uh, conversation or consternation on their part about the space itself and, and wanting to invest, uh, continue to invest in multifamily. They, they may ask in the short term, what's going to happen with rents in this particular market? When do you think they'll come back? But I, I don't see a big upheaval. So if we were sitting here in 2030, looking back on the last 10 years, between 2020 and 2030, do you think that there will be a substantial shift in where um, the demand is going to be for strongly for multifamily rentals. Uh, you now have 17 markets. I think you selected them because you think that's where uh, they, they are going to outperform the other, you know, 33 top 50 markets in America. Uh, will that list get longer? Will, will, will it go from 17 to 25? Will it go from 17 to 5 or 10? Yeah. Um, I think it's going to stay about the same. I don't think there's going to be a huge change or shift. I do think, again, people are going to, you know, there'll be big changes for this year, a little bit next year, depending upon if this comes back again, you know, it may stretch out further. But I think long-term 2030, younger people are going to want to be where the action is. They're going to want to be near their, you know, offices, bars, other people, um, the older folks, you know, if we can figure out vaccines and whatnot, but older folks are going to want to be near where the action is. They don't want to go out and, in the birds and watch the corn grow to, and, you know, watch paint dry and, and you know, wait, you know, wait. Right. I, mean, I, I think people want to be active and they're going to continue to be active and they're going to want to be around other people. We're social folks. And uh, so I don't see everybody running out to the suburbs and wearing masks for the rest of their life. Has anything looking back over the last couple of months, has anything surprised you, Bill? You know, what surprised me probably, uh, the most is that our collections early on, where everybody was just totally wigged out about what kind of collections were you know were people going to pay rent at all, 
And uh, at least in the multifamily space, you know, in the A product in particular, uh, we're very pleasantly surprised uh, with how that's uh, worked uh, and, and operated so far. Uh, I've been surprised that construction lenders are still willing to close. Yeah. Uh, construction loans can start new deals now. Same thing with equity, because 2008, this did, that didn't happen. And so that didn't freeze up. Uh, so I, that surprised me, again, in a positive way. Uh, and leasing surprised me in a positive way. It's, it, you know, leasing has been better than I thought. Now, cancellations have been higher. Uh, that, you know, was a little surprising because, um, you know, what we found is as people lease online, the cancellations then are higher. You know, they sign the lease and then they cancel it. That's interesting. But, um, so I've really been surprised more on the positive side than on the negative side anyway. What do you think will catch people by surprise uh, over the next 60 days? I think uh, one of the big things is going to be key, the psychological effect all of this, this has had on people that are home, not in the office. They're trying to, you know, they're working the best they can, but they still can't avoid watching TV a lot. And they're getting bombarded constantly with how bad everything is and, and all the numbers. And, and, and I think people are just totally freaked out. It's going to take them a while to adjust. They're going to be afraid to go back to work. They're going to be afraid to go to the store. They're going to be terrified to go to a ball game or a movie theater again. So I think, um, you know, that's going to be a big, big, a much bigger adjustment than, than people are expecting. That they think, okay, when the states, you know, and local governments say it's okay to go back to the office, it's okay to go to work, you can open businesses. I think there's going to be a pretty good lag time where people, a lot of people are going to be really freaked out. And there'll be other people that won't care. They, don't, they just won't care at all. But there's going to be a lot of people that it's going to take a while for them to start uh, behaving like they did in February. And I think that'll surprise a lot of people. Well, that's, uh, we're going to leave it at that. Uh, great, great thought to ponder and an opportunity to go back and revisit in a month or two and see uh, which, uh, which, which of these predictions came to fruition and whether this is going to be the surprise or another one. Uh, Bill, I want to thank you for taking the time to join me. Uh, it's been a great conversation, and uh, I hope that you had as much fun as I did. Uh, I wish you and your family health and uh, safety, and I hope that you and your colleagues at Mill Creek continue to do the excellent work you guys do. You are fulfilling a very important role in America and uh, providing uh, good quality housing for people that need it in the place when they need it is uh, certainly a mission that we need to uh, do more of. So thank you for that. And uh, I look forward to talking to you soon. Great. Thank you, Gotti. And th again, thank you for having me. And uh, thank you for being a good friend. And uh, your firm, as I said, you know, you guys have been great to work with for many, many years. Uh, and we're better prepared, honestly, as a company for this because of a lot of the things that we've done with you and your group strategically over the decades. So uh, thank you. And best uh, to you and your family. That's very nice of you to say. Very well. Take good care, Bill. So right, long. You take care. Bye. Bye-bye.